Hello, this is Lawrence Lewis. And this is Sister Christian. Today is Monday, June 8th, 2020. This is the Producers Happy Hour, a podcast with two producers on opposite coasts reaching out to discuss the issues involved with getting the film industry back to work safely. We find ourselves being asked to take on greater responsibilities from a variety of guidelines created by multiple sources. It can be overwhelming. Now, more than ever, it's important for us to keep sharing our experiences and our ideas. So email us, or better yet, record a one- to two-minute voice memo and send it to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Just follow the instructions on our website, producershappyhour.com. And please share the show with your friends, family, colleagues, landlords, everyone. Everyone. We're all human, and we can relate. Yes. So, Christian, we have an interview today, but we took a week off because a lot happened obviously i mean i'm i feel it in my bones i think real change is on the horizon and i'm very excited i'm also you know frustrated and tired and angry and all the things that you know uh, we were just ripe for because coming out of a pandemic that we're still in actually (laughs) that we're still in yeah it was an important week so yeah we took last week off because we didn't feel that there was any other conversation that should have been happening other than what was happening on the streets regarding the social injustices that are systemic in our society, in our culture. Yes, and Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter. And uh, Christian, I know you went out and joined some of the protests on the street, as did I here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Sure did. And then also to began the real work that needs to happen in order for Mm -hmm. us to move forward. And a lot of that has to do with educating yourself. So we are going to talk about that on the show today, but we also have an interview with Mercedes Allen Soria, who is the director of production and immersive content at Hilo. There she oversees the production for all of the company's commercial and experiential projects. We should be clear that this interview was recorded on Friday, May 29th, but since we put this show on hold last week, we are presenting it today, and some things may have changed. I'm sure that a few things may have changed (laughs) since it was recorded, but please know that it is relevant in a sense that it does talk a lot about kindness. Yeah. So Christian, how are you? Well, I'm energized. I have a lot of enthusiasm. I'm also sad and angry. The awakening that's happening out there is just the tip of the iceberg. So I know it's a long road that we have ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of, you know, wanting to be out and about with protests last week, I'm dealing also, too, with getting calls for work. It just puts another urgency on the fact that we still don't quite know how to navigate the new world of production. Right. So I guess you could add to the long list, stressed. A little bit stressed. Yes. <laughs> yes. How are you? I'm... Thoroughly turned upside down. I think last week I was uh, so angry and so sad. Mm-hmm. I felt so much rage that I, you know, gosh, I haven't, I don't remember when the last time I, I felt like that was. And so I've completely ignored anything that was happening with mm. film production and was completely focused on joining the protests on the streets and here at home learning what I can do, learning how I can better educate myself and starting to dive in and do that work. And yeah, it's a long, it's, it's a long haul. Coming to terms with realizations like you and I were talking, I don't know a black production supervisor here in Los Angeles. In fact, I may not know one 
in mm -hmm. all of the United States. And shining a light on my own implicit biases mm -hmm. and learning how to change them. Yes. Yeah. Realizing that we do all of the hiring for freelance personnel, yeah. right, on mm -hmm. our jobs. So we're considered the, for lack of a better term, the gatekeepers. Yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can, with our privilege, we can choose to hire whomever we want. So mm -hmm. actively seeking out women, people of color, black people, LGBTQ. I mean, as long as we have this in mind when we're hiring and making an actual effort to go beyond the first round of people that we know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think is very important. It's a very first step that we can take for our sets to become more diverse. Absolutely. In looking at myself and my own failings of being more proactive and being more anti-racist, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than being an ally, the goal is to be actively anti-racist. Because if you're not actively, then you're actually condoning the behavior. Exactly. So I think where I can look at myself and admit that where I have failed is just being exactly that, just being an ally and just being, I'm not going to not hire somebody because of their skin color. But then that means all I'm doing is waiting for them to be presented to me. Right. <laughs> right. You have to actively seek. Because the, the tale I was told out of the 92 riots. So okay. I was living in Long Beach during the 92 riots. Oh, I didn't know that. And down there, you could just see L.A. burning. Mm -hmm. Fire, fire, fire. One fire would go out, another one would start. And that was terrifying. The story I was told from television and society, mm -hmm. one, that it was a riot. Right, not solely. a protest. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. I read an article by Mark Brown from ABC, and he was a field reporter at the time, and he's like, we got the 92 riots wrong. We, as in the mm -hmm. news media, we got it wrong, mm -hmm. and we can't let that happen this time. So for me, coming out of that was, uh, isn't it a shame that we're destroying our city rather than figuring out ways to peacefully protest and fix the problem, and that narrative is wrong. Yes, and that story, that lesson I learned out of that whole thing was incorrect. Mm -hmm. Did what you see and how you were told and what society said about the 92 riots, did that mask some of the reality of what was happening now? No, I don't think Good. so. I don't think so. Because <laughs> I think it did no. for a lot of folks that I've been seeing, like typing up oh, shit. Oh, right. Having to correct yeah. them right away with like, <laughs> it's just yeah. stores, folks. You cannot equate property value with human life. Exactly. And to be honest, it took pandemic and hurt and suffering and then brutalizing and murdering a black man on camera in order to wake everybody up. Again, though. And a falling and a, and a but failing again, we've, economy. We've, and a failing economy, yeah. <laughs> so we are going to do some rethinking about our show here, our little podcast show, and how we can be more proactively anti-racist and figure out what we can do. Because, you know, again, like, I don't know a black executive producer. What can be done? What can be done? To and, create mm -hmm. opportunities for mm -hmm. people of color and not just talk about diversity, right? Actively seeking out crew members who yeah. are non-white mm -hmm. um, needs to be a priority. B-I-P-O-C. And if opportunities or learning, you know, taking on people to teach, too, should be a priority as well. Because our business is mostly 
learned. Yeah. Like apprenticeships or mentorships or, Mm -hmm. hey, you got a computer? Do you know Excel? Great. That's how I would say a lot of us started. Yeah. Anybody can have the opportunity. It's who you choose to give that opportunity to. Mm-hmm. So we do have enough power to change the course. And there are a lot of listeners that do as well. And so understanding that you do hold a lot of power, you do hold the keys to opportunity, that's where you can start and start to understand how to better right. use that power. I saw a great protest sign that says, I understand that I will never understand. Right. But with you, I stand. Yes. Because it's so true, I will never understand. Ever. Never. We're calling it out. We're admitting to it. Yep. And we are going to do the best we can on this show. You're going to see our work. And we're going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. Yes. It's all part of the learning process here. Yes. Right? Because we need to be educating ourselves. And we need to be using whatever platform or privilege that we have in order to share the access. The denial of a job to somebody Mm -hmm. because you did not post Mm -hmm. for the sole reason of feeling weird is no longer, I think, the excuse that can be used to not do it. And that's part of what I think when we were talking about, you know, mentioning all of these items on the show is I would rather get called out and educate and use myself as an example then I would to stay quiet anymore. Stay longer. quiet, right. We mm-hmm. cannot stay quiet anymore. And I saw this poster that I think you would like. It said, put an avocado on racism so white people pay attention. Amazing. <laughs> so. I'll, I'll share one more with you. I'll show Please. one more with you. <laughs> Treat racism like COVID-19. Assume you have it and figure out how not to spread it. Oh, yeah. And then, like, um, one of the things that I'm nervous about, which was, you know, how Mm deep-seated my racism is. Mm -hmm. Because I know. I know. I Mm -hmm. grew up in the South. My dad. Like, a lot of stuff. But not only is just hearing it like that, it's actually the institutions that we, you know, have. and That are quietly operating in the background that we don't even see. Hearing your random uncle talk about welfare. You know, like, shit that you have no idea it's forming an opinion in your mind. So, guys, you're going to watch us do the work. Yeah, and um, we're going to provide some uh, learnings and teachings and films and documentaries and podcasts and all other types of things as resources to let you come along with us. Yes, so we are going to put a page on our website with some resources. These resources, they're for you to educate yourself on the issues of racism that have long plagued our society, as well as a link to actionable things that you can do to support the Black Lives Matter movement. So that will be on our website on a new page. You know, full transparency, these are links that somebody else has done the work, and we're posting them on our site so you have access for them. I think that's important to say, but it's a link created by Black Lives Matter. And they did the work. So we didn't want to scrape the website, put all the links on our own website, and make it look like we've done the work. That wouldn't be fair. So we're linking directly to a list that is updated and kept current by Black Lives Matter. Yes. So we'll put that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Okay, Christian, I guess we should talk about the reopening of California to film production. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Well, I mean, we've been talking about it for fucking six weeks now. And I just. We have. So as I said, I've been ignoring it, Mm -hmm. very decidedly so, because I needed my energy to go into everything else that's happening. So now, catching up 
Last Friday, Gavin Newsom did say that June 12th is the date for reopening. And the California Department of Public Health said in a statement on Friday that music, TV, and film production may resume in California, recommended no sooner than June 12th, and subject to approval by county public health officers mm. within the jurisdiction of operations following their review. That's a of mouthful. Local, <laughs> it, I know. It's still it's a long <laughs> sentence. Following their review of local epidemiological data, including cases per 100,000 population, rate of test positivity, and local preparedness to support a healthcare surge, vulnerable populations, contact tracing, and testing. All that to say... Yes. The white paper is out there. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm overwhelmed by it because I know that the debate has heated up among us. And these tasks can be overwhelming. Nothing's mandated. We're being asked to do things that medical professionals should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mandated that a medical professional take your, I guess you go to the HIPAA laws, but it's just, I mean, I'm already hearing about shoots in Florida and I believe Texas where PAs are doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's overwhelming in the sense of what is the right thing to do. and what we should pay attention to and what we shouldn't pay attention to. And getting back to the conversation we've had before, Lawrence, about, you know, Slates for Sarah and how the producer was held liable for the actions. Several producers. And the AD, AD. right? Tried to find something from the Guild about it, by the way. I mean, they're not speaking on it, which I feel like they should, at least removing that AD from the Guild. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's a whole nother train we could go down. (laughs) But my point is, is that the unions obviously have weighed in on this, but nothing is mandated. The production companies have weighed in on it. Nothing's mandated. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a cherry pick of what we should be doing. And we're already overburdened with the addition of no clients and agencies coming. So live streaming and endless Zooms all day long. Yeah. All the other steps to ask. Yeah, I mean, you need an an entire production team just to handle the suggestions. Yeah, it's a lot. I haven't been reached out to for anything regarding this yet, but I know you have. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I haven't had to really dive into this too much. But uh, it's uh, it's here and it's going to start happening. The phones are going to start ringing, I imagine, at some point. And, you know, as we learned before we stopped the show for a week is that some numbers have been adjusted, right? Mm-hmm. The morbidity rate is now yeah. lower than mm-hmm. what was originally thought. Mm-hmm. And the promise from Garcetti and Newsom was that their reopening would be based on science. And one of the important factors is the R factor. Yes. Which is how many people one person spreads it to. It was up above two, mm-hmm. which means it doubles by every person. Mm-hmm. And that's when it gets out of control. And now The whole goal is to get it down to one or below one. So one person can only infect one other person during their course of having the virus. So maybe we're there. And it is as simple as somebody you shared with me and CoPro said, hand sanitize, distance, face masks. If we focus on those three real things, is that all that needs to happen? Yeah. And subway rides and commuting. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That doesn't take away. What are they doing at home? It doesn't take away those open doors to some sort of liability. Anyways, I feel like I'm rambling because I don't really have structure. Well, we don't, but we don't. Yeah. We don't have a structured somebody saying this is what we should be doing. 
Yeah. We have guidelines from a task force of the unions. They're trying to protect themselves yeah. and the companies. And their agencies and clients and sometimes directors are not going to be on set. So the people who are doing the work are the ones in mm-hmm. danger. And the ones in charge, me and you, are the ones who are concerned, rightly so, about yeah. how to move forward. And I think that anybody who says that they can be 100% safe is not being truthful with themselves because nothing's a hundred percent with this thing It's silent silent yeah can't see silent. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's right. that that's that we should get along to our interview mercedes allen Saria is helos director of production and immersive content in los angeles overseeing productions for all of the company's commercial and experiential projects a longtime producer and volunteer with AICP, she spent her entire career fostering relationships between production, agencies, directors, unions, and the commercial industry at large. Before Hilo, Mercedes spent five years at Biscuit as head of production, overseeing some of the biggest commercial campaigns during that time. Prior to becoming staff at Biscuit, Mercedes line produced and managed thousands of commercials, both domestically and globally, for over 15 years. Thousands. Thousands. (laughs) Thousands. Over the last four years, Mercedes has been active in teaching at AICP's production training seminar and also co-creating the quarterly networking HOP brunch for heads of productions across the industry. She has also had longtime involvement with several outreach organizations in Los Angeles, including Manifest Works, Street Prop Up, and Safe Place for Youth. For more information on these organizations, which are fantastic, we will include links in the show notes. Yes. All right, let's take a listen. Hello, Mercedes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'd love to find out from you how you're doing, how your family's doing, and are you located in L.A.? I am located in North Hollywood, Mm -hmm. close enough to L.A., yes. And we are doing okay. We've been pretty strict quarantine since, I think, early March. I think we started like a week earlier than everybody else. And we're surviving. (laughs) I think most people probably know you from Biscuit, but you were in the middle of a transition, right? Yeah. So I was at Biscuit for five years as the head of production and working at Biscuit we started doing a little bit more experiential immersive work with the directors, the glue society. Mm -hmm. And I just loved that side of the world. And I mean, I have an art background. I went to film school. My mom's an artist and I just, I was, it was so invigorating that I wanted to like learn more and tackle it. And Hilo approached me and that, you know, I'm really a big fan of their work. And it was just, it was very exciting timing to try to transition into like big live event experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Biscuit was so supportive. It was like a beautiful separation where they were like really excited for me. Glue Society was excited. Everyone was like stoked that I would be kind of transitioning into this world that I had clearly shared a passion for. And then... And then the world ended. And then the world ended. (laughs) I mean, you and me both, you know, I stepped into the experiential world through a passion project of mine Mm -hmm. called the Alone Experience with my friend and partner, Devin Paulson. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it kind of, I saw my career and my commercial producing career kind of melding with experiential. Mm -hmm. And I thought, ah, this is amazing. I love it. (laughs) I was having so much fun doing these projects and started my own little immersive company and... Then the world ended. 
and experiential is the complete antithesis yeah. of what we can do right now and yeah. for who knows how long. Yeah. So I know we can't get into company business with Hilo, but how's the morale? How's the mood? What's the thinking? Is, yeah, is... We're, you know, we are, we're okay. We're still seeing interesting board flow, you know, whereas mm-hmm. we wouldn't see, you know, obviously there's no huge live events. So it's more yeah. kind of in-home experiences. But yeah, I think morale is, it's all guys and one girl. <laughs> and, um, they're yeah. a really cool group of guys. They have big, big, big hearts. And um, there's a lot of like sanity check-ins and mental health check-ins. And, Good. you know, in some ways, like the work from home structure, which was part of the, when they had approached me about the job, they had said, you know, you can work from home, which was a big deal for me because I'm, a, you know, I would consider myself to be a new mom. And it's been very difficult to have so much time away from the family. Yeah. In some ways, this company is structured for this this type of occasion. Everybody's all over the world and mm-hmm. it was already kind of built to communicate like this. So it, I haven't felt that that was a big rift in the system, this sort of work from home protocol. But as a mom, it is right. curse. <laughs> <laughs> what age range is your child? Uh, I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh. Yeah. So it's nonstop. <laughs> yeah. It is nonstop. I currently have pink eye, which I'm sure is from changing shitty diapers. Nice. And, <laughs> and your husband's working from home too, right? So there's a trade-off back and forth? That's... No. You know, oh. in some ways I'm not lucky because he's not working, but in some ways I'm lucky because he's not working. So my oh. husband is a DJ. Mm-hmm. and primarily weddings and like art shows and live events. Yeah. yeah. So, and Perfect. then his other job is doing background <laughs> acting on commercials. So the two things are... Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, for a very long time, which I'm lucky because he's full on stay at home dad right now. Like my co-HOP at, at Biscuit, her and her husband are both working and they have children almost the same age. Oh. So it's like... I'm lucky. I don't. That I'm not in that situation. I don't know how she's doing it. Uh, mm. she, she's an angel sent from heaven, but you know it's still difficult nonetheless. Well, yeah. I have an interesting question. I'd like to dive a little deeper into what you're saying on uh, experiential home experiences. What has it been like? And I'm not sure whether you can speak to this directly or not, but to manage clients expectations because you know what we experiential was before were these you know huge live touching events to touch people in public but now how is that you know making people think smaller and more intimate going in that industry i'm pretty shocked by the camaraderie that i'm Mm -hmm. seeing across the board i think that client expectations are they're very understanding of mm. the situation and remote shooting and not being able to be there. And and I'm pretty surprised that, you know, everybody seemingly has been able to adapt so quickly to the opposite of what it was like before, which is just, you know, some, I hate to say it, but client expectations were bananas, you know, bananas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm surprised. I'm really surprised. I'm happy. I feel like, you know, everybody says there's the sentence, like when we go back, Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I truly hope as a society, we learn so much from this and that there's not a go back. Right. And I hope that translate into 
our professional careers as well. I don't think that we should go back to a lot of the ways mm-hmm. we're working mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the hours that we were working and the amount of expectations. I feel like that's being heard and felt across the board. I truly yeah. hope that sustains. That's very promising because everyone we speak to and everyone that I know feels the same way. Mm-hmm. And if we're all feeling the same way, it's a tentative hope. It's nice. <laughs> Maybe we can do something. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I feel like... I know obviously not everybody in the world has kids, but a lot of people in this industry are really being at home for the first time with their Mm -hmm. family. And, you know, as a producer production, you know, head of production, I didn't need that much time. (laughs) I was working, you know, Uh, my husband is like a better mom than I am, but I think that having the time to sit, Mm -hmm. whether you're with children or not, has shifted all of our brains a little bit to where we're like, I think for the first month and a half, we were fucking crawling out of our skin because Mm -hmm. it's so uncomfortable to be alone. Or, you know, in my case, even like as if in a family setting, it's, it's not what we're used to, especially being producers or in this industry. And Mm -hmm. I think now that we're in the past that month and a half, we're like, okay, we can, we can sit, we can And it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. So I do think that, that if we're feeling that clients are feeling that too, everybody's kind of feeling that, you know, and, and, and yes, there's this mad dash feeling of like, we want to get back, but to work. But I think it's like, I feel like there'll be a collective camaraderie. I hope that sustains. Yeah, we hope so too. And that's kind of been a theme of our show going forward is that it's been a question we've asked everybody, you know, what would you like to see change in this industry? We've all just been forced to stop, slow down, make our lives a little bit smaller, forced to slow down and just really think about what it means. What do you want most out of life? And now's the opportunity. You know, it's like when it comes to production, we're literally rewriting the rule book, right? Yeah, but we can also do that with our lives and how the industry works as a whole and how we want to participate in it. Yeah. So it's absolutely. great to hear you say that. And I know we spoke a lot during those early mm-hmm. few days and uh, there were a lot of emotions and it was really scary up front. But now I'm glad to hear that you say, that, you know, everyone's able to take a breath and really think about it and work collaboratively. And it's good to hear because I think yeah. as producers, client expectations make us a little nervous going into real shoots right now Mm -hmm. because there's so much more at stake i was on a um aicp board call and Mm -hmm. i I won't say the name of the production company but they're a big big prominent production company they turned down a job that was seemingly well funded because the agency and client demanded to be present wow really and i think i think it was overseas even and they were like we'll do it we'll quarantine and the the production company is like no, we don't want the job. We don't, it's not it's liability taking. It's uh, liability. So yeah, it's yeah. like, and and also, what's that going to say to the crew? You know, and yeah. So I, I was so impressed. I mean, this is a badass production company, and I was like, if I didn't think you were badass enough, I yeah, think even more. That's badass. amazing. That is amazing, and that's yeah. really good to hear because somebody wrote into the show last week saying there needs to be some tough love from production companies mm-hmm. to the agencies. Yeah, They're looking to us to lead them through this. We're the experts in how to make this happen. And so we need to be strong and say, no, we can't yeah. do it that way. This yeah. is how it has yeah. to be done. Take back some of the power in the relationship because I feel like we've all been scrambling to get the jobs for so long that undercutting each other 
That's a whole different cultural thing, though. So if we take the power back now, we'll see. Yeah. Now, what about budgets? Have you seen any sort of numbers floating around out there attached to jobs? Because there's definitely probably a shift going to be happening there. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a shift. There's a lot of like, we're still sort of in that game of which it was even before I had left Biscuit of like, can you tell us how much this is going to cost? Yeah, right. Or how much can I get for my hundred grand? <laughs> can you tailor your creative around this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, budgets have been evolving and shifting quite dramatically over the past like year and a half. And I don't think that this is going to change that. I think if agency or client have expectations that budgets will go down even more because crew size will be smaller, I think they're wrong. We have a lot more responsibility on our hands. PPE, cleaning crews, you know, staggering calls, all of this is going to cost a lot of money. So I think agency and clients need to have an understanding of that, which I feel like they do. I, I don't know. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very pro them right now in this conversation. But That's good, though. That's good. <laughs> That's giving us some hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you have so many experiential directors on your roster. We had both Kyle Ruddick and Annie Saunders on a show. Mm-hmm. And most of their work is so passionate and human-based and involves the human interaction and how are they doing? Have you been speaking to the roster and, you know, what advice are you giving them to kind of get through this? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people on the roster and I think, I think they're in that same space, Lawrence, too. I think the first, mo- you know, I think now the settle-in has happened where they understand that they're going to have to evolve in this space as well. I'm getting a sense from a few of them you know, they're, they're sending in ideas on projects and like really thinking outside of the box and possibly putting themselves in positions of uncomfort as we all are of new ways to kind of pivot and do projects. And I'm just really impressed. It's incredible. And I feel like that from a lot of directors, I mean, no Murrow sent me a text last night at midnight of a video that he did. I'll send it to you. It's called a love letter to Los Angeles that he just made on his own. You know, I'm seeing like all of these projects out there and it is stunning. It's beautiful. And I think directors are remembering their craft and even experiential directors and trying to figure out how to pivot and, you know, they want to get out and and create so badly. Right. So I think maybe the first month it was like, what am I going to do? I'll never do anything again. And then it's like, wait, now I can do this, this, this. And, you know, we're, we're seeing directors email us like beautiful, incredible ideas to try to sell to clients and agencies. So I'm very proud of everyone really on the roster. That's great. All the emotions, the anxiety that has been felt and the closeness and being with ourselves is starting to turn into some pretty creative things. I think so. Yeah, I really do. I feel like Lawrence, you and I had talked, I think, the first week of shutdown, and I was like, sobbing to you on the phone. <laughs> in a stroller. I was sobbing to him, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah we were all sobbing to each other. <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> I was like three, four, five steps ahead of this pandemic. I'm like one of those weirdos who follow like conspiracy theory Instagram. Right. And so <laughs> I'm seeing all of this like at the end mm-hmm. of December. And yeah. I kept telling my husband, I'm like, 
this shit's real. Like something, mm-hmm. something to go down. And we went to Hawaii wow. for a wedding at the beginning of February and the airport at Hawaii. I mean, there were people in full hazmat suits. Masks, wow. Like, the outbreak is what I call it. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we flew, you know, and I'm yeah. like, something's up. Something doesn't feel right. So when all of this started and I was talking to you, Lawrence, I really, truly felt like we were all going to quarantine the whole world for like a month and it was going to disappear. I did. Uh-huh. I didn't think that we would be where we are now. So now that that's kind of sunk in and this mm-hmm. is like the reality and we're all figuring out how the, how the fuck do we survive this and, you know, keep our houses and everything like we've moved past that point of discomfort and now we're kind of in survival mode, which is mm-hmm. exciting mm-hmm. artists, right? That's how we thrive. So mm-hmm. totally. We're going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Taking us back to the, the crying time i know that i know (laughs) i know of people who still have not received unemployment or their claims have not been approved yet and i know i've also helped people that i've known across the country get into their state system and just walk them through it so do you have anything advice you'd like to share yeah so my husband obviously we we tried to set up his oh excuse me sorry (laughs) it's all right you're going to the car wash? Yeah. Okay, guys. I'm on I'm on a podcast right now, okay? <laughs> okay? Can you say okay? No? Okay. Get down. Okay, get down. <laughs> Those are strangers. <laughs> I think he just gave us a one-star rating. Stranger danger. <laughs> this is what it's like to work from home, by the way. It's uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, unemployment. I helped my husband. So when I say me, it was for him, but I helped my husband sign up for unemployment almost like a week before lockdown because he hadn't worked the week prior. This is the first time that he had ever done unemployment other than paid family leave. But I've done it for years as a freelance. Yeah, right. So I felt like I understood and knew the system. It was insane. And then I had this fear like, okay, well, I'm going to die. And he's not going to get the unemployment. And where is he going to like know or figure out the system because it's so fucking complicated it's like yeah you have to be a brain surgeon to understand the edd system we got locked out for almost seven weeks Ugh. from payment because they said that he failed to prove his identity which was a new thing what? yeah you have to like send it now you have to send in proof of like your mortgage statement and your bills and picture oh my god that's yeah, bananas hmm. And we had sent it all in in a timely manner. So I appealed the decision and I sent in an 18 page appeal. Like an insurance claim. Text messages <laughs> and like a screenshot of my husband carrying the envelope on the ring camera. I mean, I did not like, you know, wow. shit out of that appeal packet. And I'm like, I'm with the kids at dinner one night. It's like 6.30 at night. My phone rings and they're like, hi, is Mateo Saria there? And I'm like, yeah, who's this? She's like, oh, it's so-and-so from EDD. And I'm like, oh, my God. Don't. It was like I won the lottery. (laughs) Wow. If I lose, you call me back. Let me plug my phone in the charger. And she had said that she wanted to personally call me because in all her years of working (laughs) with EDD, she had never seen an appeal packet that amazing before. Oh, my God. That is amazing. And then she apologized. That's the best compliment I've ever heard anyone get. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> I actually ended up, Lawrence saw I posted on a Facebook group and I've done like a couple of Zooms with like yeah. strangers. 
Yes. Just to walk them through mm-hmm. at least what we experienced, which was appealing identity issues. And right. it's insane. It's really difficult. And, you know, I think they're going to take away that extra $600, 600. and I yeah. don't know how we're going to survive. I mean, I mean, Mitch McConnell literally said over their dead bodies, are they going to extend that? So thank you. Yeah. I was surprised in the beginning, too, how many how many 1099 people, even though it was national news and everything, who did not realize that they could apply. So yeah. that was kind of what I was doing, was helping out strangers or people that I'd met uh, on one job mm-hmm. in the last 10 years or so, like just walking them through. Nope, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My sister, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a great service that you did because yeah. we've all paid into it. Right. We've all paid into it and it shouldn't be that difficult. It just shouldn't. Mm -hmm. The questions are tricky. They're hard to understand. I do like SOWs and contracts for a living. And I know like, you know, I'm slow at it because I stop and read every sentence carefully. Mm -hmm. Really have to do the same thing to just try to get like some food on my table. It's well, so since you bring up SOWs now, I do have a question for you because we know that insurance companies aren't covering uh, cancellations. Exactly where so, I No, thank you. Lawrence and I have also been getting calls for work. And, you know, I've been questioning the companies who have called me to find out what they're doing. Are they adding, you know, clauses to their contract to say if cancellations happen, client has to pay? Yes. AICP mm-hmm. has issued a sort of blanket statement to add as a suggestion to add to every contract. Some agencies don't agree. Some do. Some production companies won't allow it unless they do agree. So it's kind of all over the place. But yes, there is a four sentence you know, thing that is blanketed across the board that mm-hmm. everyone is adding. And if you're not, you should be. And if you don't have it, email me. <laughs> Wow. No, a unified is, uh, front is the only way we're going to get the you know, only way. I yeah. am so impressed by, you know, a lot of people before this didn't really know what the AICP was. And I, as a board member, obviously, I, I'm, I've been really involved with them for years and have helped teach some of their training seminars. And I'm just totally impressed by the work that they've done. They do mm-hmm. Monday through Thursday from 11 to like 1230 every single day. There's a town hall. One is business affairs. One is labor. One is open. One is insurance. They're walking everybody through this. Today is a women's forum town hall. You know, I think that they're really very quickly rallied together to create a united front. Andrew, a smuggler, and a couple other mm-hmm. people worked on COVID coming back sort mm-hmm. of guidelines, and the AICP adapted those. So, yeah, I think without becoming, you know, collusiony. <laughs> we all need to be united on some things. So I think that they're they're really doing an incredible job. That is awesome. That's really good to hear. Those are the guidelines that set the standard for the non-union companies too, to be honest. Yeah. Now, Mercedes, what do you know about workers' comp? I know in California, the governor declared that workers' comp needs to cover COVID-19. Yeah. But other places, that's I don't not think the it's case. New York yet, yeah. I haven't wrapped my head around this, Lawrence. I haven't wrapped my head around, you know, and I think even being on these insurance town halls where the insurance companies are like, right, but it's going to be, how do you prove that that's where you yeah. get it, right? Contact tracing, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know how that is going to work or help or 
if you get it from work and you can prove you got it from work, it's still like a global pandemic. And is it the fault of the employer if they're doing temperature checks and cleaning? And it's a weird one for me. I'm stumped because, uh, you know, I don't want to see companies go out of business for just trying to keep everyone working. But on the flip side, you know, the government saying at least the Republicans are like, yeah, we'll give you this, this, and this if you give us an immunity clause. And at the same time, yeah. an immunity clause is very dangerous for people too because it exactly. find that and you're not holding your end of the bargain of providing PPE and cleaning crews and all this stuff. And I do really get sick at work. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. I don't, I think immunity clauses are a dangerous, tricky road to go down, but I also feel like workers' comp for this is a dangerous, tricky road. And I don't know. I don't know if that's even a great answer. It's like, I can't wrap my head around it. Well, it's echoing the conversations, Christian, I have been having with everybody for the past, you know, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you should not sign away your right. You know, you should not waive a company's right if they're misbehaving and not giving you the protective gear mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. or setting up basic standards. Then there should be some sort of like then in the protection of the companies, there has to be something like, okay, well, if we agree to do this, 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 and this, you know, I don't know that you're not like going out at night. Or you can even Mass go transit. off, you mm-hmm. know, if, you, if you're if you prepping a job and you run off to Chipotle for lunch, you could have picked exactly. it up there and we don't yeah. have control over that. So yeah, that, it's yeah. a big question mark, both the liability and the workers comp, because there's one thing for the production company side, Right. And then there's one thing for the crew side. But then there's us line producers who, you know, after the Sarah Jones mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we have responsibility to the crew for their safety. So does the first AD. That sad experience of the Sarah Jones accident neglect shows that even the freelance line producers are are held accountable for that kind of safety. So then if if companies are protected with a waiver, if crews are protected with workers' comp, I still feel like there's an open door for us freelance line producers in terms of responsibility and liability when it comes to crew safety. And we're not doctors. No, we're not doctors. Struggling to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, Lawrence. I can't quite wrap my head around it, you know. And also, I think that the expectations of the industry at large are we're being held to such a standard that other companies and corporations aren't like, yeah. so it's very strange times indeed. And I worry about crew members signing away things that they shouldn't mm-hmm. do. And, you know, as somebody who works at a, at a company, I worry about the liability of the company mm-hmm. with the ability to file workers comp. I mean, I could go on and on. It's, it's confusing to me. It's con- very confusing. And the amount of responsibility, yes, for producers and line producers is everyone's saying, oh, the PAs are going to have to do all this cleaning. Like, no, 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 no way. So that goes back to the budgets, too. Like, don't expect there to be, you know, teeny tiny budgets because a teeny tiny crew, there's a lot of cost. There's a lot more. The level of protection that we're all due. And time and more time. 
It's all going to take more time. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. more prep days and more. It just takes longer. I was on a crew call last night where a few people have been on a set and it's very safe, but they were working with masks on and they said that it was like breathing 70% of, you know, their oxygen intake was just much less. The fatigue that sets in from wearing your mask all day long and working in it is something that can't be described unless you do it. Mm -hmm. So the amount of work that we were able to do and then 12 hour days plus an hour commute each way is just it's only going to leave you susceptible to getting sick. Yeah, my brother in law is a bio engineer and he has like a badass biotech company. He was like one of the first companies to create a COVID test. He has these modular units. It's the company's called Biomeme. He has these modular units basically that you can do testing right then and there with these units. And you don't need to send it off to a lab. You get results. You can do like nine tests in an hour. And I've been talking to him a lot about, you know, approaching production companies or studios about mm-hmm. like, what if we did testing before people came on set? It's rapid testing. You know, there's still a lot to figure out with like HIPAA and everything, but then we could kind of all feel comfortable. It, eventually mm-hmm. tests are going to be like pregnancy tests. We're going to have to take them all the time because this yeah. is not going anywhere. So he and I have been discussing that a lot. Right. Because if we leave set and take the subway home or just like Lawrence said, you know, touching a doorknob or like anything, if you have accidentally done the one thing that puts it into your system and then come to set the next day, it's not like you're going to have an immediate fever or a cough or any symptoms when you walk back in. And the way contact tracing is working now, we know that in a few weeks that, uh, you know, the pool party that happened, things can get traced back to that. Mm -hmm. And like five people who were at the party have it. And I think that's how sets are going to go too. Mm -hmm. There were seven people on this movie that caught it during this week. You know, as a mom with very small children, we are trying to figure out like a pod system of Mm. opening up with another family. Right. Yeah. We've opened up with another family. One of my best friends from college, him and his wife have a little boy who's in between age of my two boys. It's constant communication. Where Mm -hmm. have you been this week? Who have you been around? How are you feeling? Is it cool if we come in the house? You know, Mateo went to a doctor's appointment this week, but he had a mask on the entire time. How do you feel about that? Oh, you want to take a two-week break? Okay, you know, but you can't do that with a crew of like a hundred people, right? No, no, you can't, yeah. I think that contact tracing, and I I think if this testing, if if I can figure this out with Biomeme and bring in these testing capabilities, it could kind of be a game changer where it's like, uh, no, you got to go home, you know? And the fever... Fever checks are interesting, but it's like now they're saying it's really pulse ox monitors that are more important yeah. than fevers, you know? So oh mm-hmm. I don't know. Bananas. There's a lot to figure out still. And, yeah. uh, you know, we can talk, you know, these small practicalities to death. But what about the bigger picture? What would you like to see bigger in the industry change, a new way of working? Or for yourself, how would you like to, you know, now that we've had this great pause, where we can really take stock of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like last year I had the busiest year I've ever had and it damn near killed me and I don't want to do that again. Yeah. And I can see that now. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see be different coming out of this? I'm going to answer this question in two ways. One okay. as a freelancer and one as staff. Okay. 
as staff, you know, and somebody who's worked in the office nine to six, Monday through Friday, plus all the hours at home and in the morning and the Mm -hmm. night, I feel like the office structure should be shifted. I think that this clearly shows the capability of working from Mm -hmm. home is possible. I think for the environment, it's important to have work from home. I don't understand, you know, it it was like 1920 that the nine to six hours were created. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It had more to do with like farming and our agriculture than anything. It doesn't apply to our current society. So as a staff worker who is also a parent, I feel like there needs to be a massive shift in office structure. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be at work from nine to six, Monday through Friday, chained to your computer. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think that it's good for mental health, let alone physical health. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot that we can do from home, which is helpful to our hearts and our souls and also our environment. So Mm -hmm. that's how I feel on the staff side of things. As freelancers, I feel like it's important, this pause and what should be learned from it is speaking up for yourself, right? Like I think about there was a producer who passed away mid-job a couple years ago. I, I believe he had pneumonia and, you know, it was a little bit after Sarah Jones and it's like as freelancers, I would go into the office with pneumonia with a breathing machine And go finish my time cards because, like, I felt like you're never allowed to speak up for yourself or call and say you work. You don't ever not work, right? And so, as freelancers, I feel like what should be learned from this is the ability to speak up for yourself and make sure that you're being protected. You're really going to have to say, like, "Eh, time out. I don't see you guys cleaning enough. You know, there's a level of expectation that's going to be on the production companies and the freelancers be able to have that voice. And I hope that they're like empowered to some degree as they go back and not feeling like, well, we have to do it or we'll never work again. It's like, well, you guys have a lot of power, you know, we need you. It's kind of how, you know, people are feeling. Some A lot of people out there are feeling as though they're going to be asked to do things that they don't want to, but they need to because they haven't worked. So I hope it empowers people as well. Yeah. And and also for freelancers, you guys know how much you can get done from home instead of in the office. Oh, my God. Going into the office and doing your time cards. When I was HOP at Biscuit, I was like, you guys, go home. Like, like I never (laughs) walked around the base to see if they were there because I would see them, like, eye-chatting me all day, texting me. Like, I know you're working. I know know working working hard. (laughs) And thank you so much. You know, I think as freelancers, like, creating that boundaries of, you know, no, I don't Mm -hmm. need to be in your office around all your people. I'm better off working at home. I'm faster and more efficient. Faith and trust in me. And I think all the freelancers that worked at Biscuit valued that I had that faith and trust in them. And I wasn't like monitoring or policing. And I think all other production companies need to take that into account too. We don't need to see them to trust that they're working. They are working their asses off. There are definitely studies that say, you know, like if you have a five-day work week, that's how long it takes for you to get the work done. If you have a four-day work week, that's how long it takes for you to get the same <laughs> yeah. amount of work done. Exactly. So I know that when I'm working from home, it's a three or four hour like push and then it's maintenance. It's not, yeah. you know, yeah. 10 hours worth of just like 
chatting with people and getting up and going to get the coffee and all the stuff you do in an office because you don't need to be there. <laughs> I actually have had a conversation with somebody. I'm in Los Feliz to get to the a production company in Santa Monica. You know, that's an hour, 15, hour and a half out of my day both ways. That's right. three hours that I can't really work. And especially when you're working with different time zones, it's like I'm up at six because it's nine in New York and I'm on the phone until 11 because then it's after lunch in New York. I've actually had somebody say, well, you can take calls and, and answer texts on while you drive in to work. And I'm like, no, I can't. Right before I went staff at Biscuit, I was doing a job at Skunk, I think. Mm-hmm. Skunk. And they're downtown and I live in mm-hmm. North Hollywood. So I decided every day I was going to take the subway. Yeah. And <laughs> it was like the best. So I would text my producer in the morning. Yeah. And be like, eh. Like hopping on the subway, you know, I'm off radio for a half hour. And I would read, I read a book. book That's so nice. It was unbelievable. And so, no, I can't (laughs) do fucking emails on my way into work all the time. Like boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Please, if there's anything we learn from this, it's boundaries, you know? And that was like one of the best jobs of my career because I had <laughs> one hour. Of course, it was before I had children, but it was like one hour of time on my own, you know, yeah. setting those boundaries. Yeah. A lot of people say that they miss commute. Yeah. People who aren't in our industry <laughs> because it's the one time a day that they're away from their families and they get to just listen to a book or, you know, like right. chat with their mom on the phone or whatever it is that you get to do alone on your commute. And, is... and they don't have to worry about the permit office closing or something while they're <laughs> Exactly. I think like as a parent who's not used to working from home, who's now working at home, I find myself very uncomfortable throughout the day with not having the space that I'm used to having at work. Mm -hmm. And also I'm still working every day and, you know, Zooms and calls and bidding and all this stuff. But it's like, I don't feel as important or like needed as I'm used to because I'm not (laughs) like with coworkers all day. I'm with my kids and like, (laughs) yeah, they need me, but like they're abusive. (laughs) 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 yeah and they just need your attention not your intellect (laughs) exactly well uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today this was amazing and such a just a nice little insertion of hope on my end like i uh, so thank you for that yeah we probably covered it but i'm gonna ask again what do you miss most i miss my mom (laughs) i miss Mm -hmm. um Oh, I feel like I'm going to cry. I miss my mom. I think I I know that's like a weird answer because it should be about it's work. Not, it's not. It's not. No, it, it doesn't need to be about, about work. work. Yeah. I work is not our like, life. I Yeah. I feel like I feel very lonely sometimes in the mm-hmm. city. It's a very lonely city. And I didn't know how much I missed my family until right. this, you know? Sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I I miss my mom too. I just had a call with her and I can't see her because yeah. she's in a gated community and they're not allowing guests. And so Yeah, my mom lives in New Mexico and it's like, how do yeah. we do this? You know? Yeah. That's what I miss a lot. My mom and I didn't talk very much the last few years, and so this has made us talk 
a lot more. And it's been nice because if this wouldn't have happened, I would not have regained the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that this has affected all aspects of our life. And um, because of who we are in the industry we work in, it's tied to work. You know, our life is tied to work in so many ways. And so to actually think about that portion makes us almost feel guilty. And it's yeah, so that's part of the rebuild that we're doing right now, the boundaries. My husband is my husband is a very strange, amazing person, but he <laughs> he's one of the Mine people. too. <laughs> he picks up the phone and calls people all the time, all day. He's talking to Really? Somebody. He's one of those that just calls people unannounced. Like pre-COVID, I'm like would watch him pick up the phone and call his friend for an hour and I'm like Oh, I can't, I can't, I would rather text, you know, and now, you know, in this COVID world, I've talked like last night, instead of watching TV, I talked to one of my best friends from college for two hours and, you know, finding those human connections Mm -hmm. has been incredible in this experience. And I don't know if I would change that, I think, and being comfortable with saying like, I miss my mom or reconnecting with people Mm -hmm. that we've had strange relationships with, you know, now I think when something like this happens, you realize how badly you need human connection. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, an unannounced FaceTime call before now would have been like cringeworthy. Block me from my phone. (laughs) How dare you? Now I can't (laughs) wait. Yeah. (laughs) you know just yeah 100% agree with that I I as much as I miss people I think I've spent more time with people in the last three months than I have in a very long time yeah 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 Yeah. so all right Mercedes thank you so much thank you very much boundaries Yehuda was on to something it seems we spoke to Yehuda about boundaries as well. I remember that conversation because oh. it was the beginning of my discovery that I could set some boundaries or I needed to set some boundaries. Oh, and, go. you know, Mercedes nailed it in a few different ways. And the the need that we feel to be available 24 hours a day, you get a text at 11 p.m., you answer it. The inability to let it go. Yeah. The anxiety it gives you until you answer it. And I find myself not necessarily feeling that anymore. And it's nice. And I don't want to go back to it. I don't want to go back to it either. And I think it even, it self-demonstrated right at the end there when we asked her, what does she miss? And she apologized for saying her mom. She said it should be about work. And that's so ingrained in us. And I hope we can all let that go. Because I miss my mom too. I miss my mom, too. (sighs) Great talk. (laughs) Yes. And I'm glad the AICP is being so proactive. That's really good to hear. I can't wait to see what they have going on. So, Lawrence, you know, this show is edited and co-produced by Rob Bloomkey. Artwork and logo design by Christopher Daniels. And our music was composed by Kyle Puccia. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, stay connected. Stay active, but please keep staying home if you can. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Sorry, I just threw up a little because I was thinking about how dirty your phone was. Oh. And if you are going outside, please wear a mask. Oh, some shade. Uh, be sure to send us your voice recordings or your emails to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Lawrence, they know who they are. <laughs> it- 
People, they want to get you. How can they? LawrenceTLewis.com or for voiceover work for your commercials. VoiceofLawrence.com. <laughs> all Christian, your ads, all, all your, your ads, all your... of them. <laughs> Christian, what about you? How do people get you? They want you. SisterChristianProduces.com. And should we tell them that we'll take a sponsor too if they're interested? Yeah. <laughs> Let's Anybody go. wants to sponsor, but you're at the top of the show. <laughs> right up there. <laughs> all right. See you guys tomorrow. Bye. Bye.